This is actually a, a dream of mine. 92, I came here as a student in medical school, and I sat in a rows with you. Yes, I'm older. I was one of those old students. And I had a dream that one day I would be able to stand up here in front and to really talk to you about the thing that I'm the most passionate about. And that's about your life and the life that's worth living. I'm going to ask for some slides to be put up. Today we're going to address the issue that isn't talked about a lot, and that's the issue of feelings of suicide, being suicidal. In the Bible it says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly sometimes seems to be good, successful, wonderful, rich, all of those things. But if you really think about it, it means everything, having all of life, the ups and the downs. Next slide, please. And I'm going to go quickly through these slides because I have some pe people here that are going to talk with you. The problem, and I'm going to go to the next slide, please. I'm going to go straight to the grad students. Suicide is on the uprise with the adolescent population. I deal with them. You guys are late adolescents now. We, we, we call you that at this point, even up until age 30. They did a study most recently at UC Berkeley, and they said that 67% of graduates felt hopeless once in the year. Now, that's pretty common. I think most of us have felt that way after a test, right? 54% felt like they were so depressed that they couldn't function. What does that mean? I think we all understand when we're not able to study, not able to have fun. 10% considered suicide. Let's go to the next slide. There are huge factors that contribute to your, your stressors here, and we're aware of that. And I'm in conversation all the time with your deans of students and with other professors, but I wanted to have that conversation today with you on a more intimate level. Some of those stressors are your financial concerns. Loma Linda, we know about that, don't we? Social isolation. Graduate students in particular that are in their PhD programs, that are in their labs by themselves. But even we medical students, dental students, in all the other schools, we know what it means to be isolated. The pressure of competition. I remember thinking, if I can just pass, then it got to be, I wanted to be in the middle of the curve. And then I wanted to be in the top. Somehow it comes up as you get ready for launching into residencies. You get into adversarial roles with faculty. It seems like that power differential is huge, doesn't it? It is. And as a faculty member, I need to be mindful of how incredible that pressure is. Fear of being seen as weak, therefore you don't ask. Next slide, please. Really wanted to press this one home, that medical and dental students Engineering and mathematics students are the ones that have the highest risk of suicide. Depression is under-recognized in all schools. It's 25% of uh, medical students in three states and all of the medical schools were tested and showed that you were depressed. 22% of those people that were depressed were only getting help. Let's go on to the next one. A lot of barriers, and I'm not going to go through these. I'm going to have my speakers talk about them. Let's keep going. So when you're depressed, what are you looking at? Well, the biggest deal is that you can't concentrate. Some of you will come to me thinking you have ADHD, right? And I'll 
talked with you about it. Often it's going to be a depressed mood rather than it's going to be learning disabilities. You may have suicidal thoughts. Somebody sitting here in the audience may be feeling that way right today. You may have an empty mood, a lot of physical problems. Next slide, please. Helplessness, hopelessness, increasing of substance abuse, fatigue, lack of interest, not to name, there's so many of them. Keep going on. <laughs> there are. And I want to use the time for my, my, my people. So let's move to the next one. Warning signs of suicide. These are really important for you guys to look at. Thoughts of suicide, substance abuse, purpose, uh, purposelessness, anger. I see a lot of us in this crowd, and I know that we're angry at times. Hopelessness, withdrawal, anxiety, and recklessness. Let's keep going. When you see your friends that have a dramatic change in their mood, either they're high or low, they're talking about suicide, they're preoccupied with death, Suddenly, they're happier and calmer. They're talking about getting everything put away in their lives, giving away things. Those are really important signs. And visiting and calling their family for the last time. Next slide. These people really need you to, to make a notice of that. Okay, next slide. I'm going to stop with the slides right now, and we're going to ask for the video to be shown. was just really wonderful. We had, I mean, we had a nice house. We had food on the table. I had a caring mother, caring father, and my little brother who was, we were the best friends. The biggest problems we did have was trying to figure out who was going to carpool, what kids to what activities, and, um, and what we were going to go do on the weekends, and uh, whether the kids were having a pool swing party and having all their friends over. That's our life before. And then by about 12 years old, when things started so changing. And we had this tree in front of my house. And I don't, don't remember ever you know, going outside and playing with the tree or anything like that beforehand. But at this particular moment, that tree meant something to me. And for whatever reason, it made sense to me that this is where it was going to end. That everything had come to this tree, this point. And hanging myself, it just, it made sense. It was really scary. Because as I said, I had never, never experienced these thoughts, but I also never encountered this force, this just driving force to get me to do, to do this. Yeah, to end my life was never something I thought about. And now I, I sat there at 11 years old with this force compelling me to do so. 
Around the same time after this had been progressing, all of a sudden I started drinking. The worst part of it came when uh, a, a New Year's Eve party at his dad's house, at his dad's co-worker's house. And that's the night that um, we had told him he could not drink. There was this girl who I just was, I really liked her and her birthday party was the next day. And if I didn't drink, I was gonna go to her birthday party. The party ended at 12 o'clock when everybody stopped and realized he wasn't anywhere around. To drink had become my focus. And we all took our cars and left the party and started driving up and down streets. introduce you to my friends and my colleagues that I work with and I'm gonna let them tell you who they are and then we're gonna go a little bit deeper into what their experience has been well good morning it's our afternoon I think almost uh, anyway my name is Troy Mondragon or Mondragon however it uh, comes out I'm 28 years old now um, an in-between student so I'm still paying on my student loans but not in school uh, but next year I will be going back for a degree in social work. And to be up here today is just a real privilege and honor. And I definitely want to thank Loma Linda University, all of you, the people in the nosebleed section, and, uh, and of course Dr. Shepard for, for having me be here and work with something I'm so passionate about. Hi. Okay, so my name is Mark. <laughs> this is my friend Mark. <laughs> my name is Mark. Um, so I was raised here, actually locally, and then I went to private school, and then I went up to Washington, uh, Walla Walla University. I know it's not Loma Linda, but um, it's still within the Adventist community. And um, after that, I got graduated with my master's degree in social work and did some therapy and did some outreach with you know, schizophrenia and stuff. Currently now, I work as a social worker in hospice, taking care of um, the death and dying in their families. So that's where I am. Troy, thanks for the video. And can you tell us a bit more about that experience or your experience? Uh, yeah, uh, that video was filmed when I was 24. I'm 28 today, and that experience is from when I was 14. And it definitely has been something that was, I mean, there really wasn't any idea that this would happen. I, like I said in there, I come from a very comfortable household. I grew up playing baseball, I had my pet snake. And then, uh, you know, his name was Bob, which we found out later was a female, but I still called it Bob. Um, uh, but then the suicide outburst happened. And then that just kind of, you know, really kept going up, uh, up until that point. So I had to find uh, seek psychiatric help, which thankful for my parents for that one. Okay. And how about you, Mark? My experience started, actually when I was in college, um, started to, just feel like that hurt and that, that pain that I couldn't quite make go away. I didn't know where it was coming from or what it was doing. I found myself isolating. I was uh, among the peers. I was uh, involved in spirituality. I was up front doing some acting stuff. But I started just to kind of withdraw and, and feel this intense pain. And I didn't know what it was. I started with withdrawing, not even talking to a lot of my friends. And, 
And I just started to feel just so like this numb, aching pain. And it was one of the most surreal experiences of my life to go back and, and look at that. And so, like Troy, I'm just really excited to be able to share like the raw part of, of being depressed or being suicidal. And to kind of shed um, some of the barriers that exist. Uh, it's kind of hard to connect when we have these conceptions that, well, we don't know what to do or how to do it, or somebody is not living the life that we think they should be living. Or one thing that I really enjoy is you have a lot to live for. We'll talk about that in a minute. What support have you appreciated or would you really appreciate if you could tell this crowd, the students here, what support really helped? You know, I, I think for me, being in that time and that, that state of life is such a, I mean, it's such a difficult situation for other people to really kind of grasp and even go there. And I don't think that was necessary. But what was necessary is the validation. And not so much that, you know, whether or not these people agreed or disagreed with my situation, but that they acknowledged that that is where I was at. And I think once they were able to validate me, there was, there was a connection that was made. And, and from that point on, uh, that, you know, once that bond was established, uh, the support was able to kind of take me here, take me there, and, and I was able to go through it. Because it, it's just, it's such a, a unbelievably dark place to be. And mm -hmm. most people are not gonna understand it who are there trying to help. But just the simple validation uh, it just goes a long way. You keep saying the word validation. Um, can you explain what that means? Well, well, again, it's just it's validating that this is the experience that I'm going through right now. It's a simple acknowledgement, which I think is, is very hard to do, especially when it comes to suicide, depression, those type of uh, places, uh, because we don't want to... Oh, yeah, our friend's suicidal. I mean, you don't want to think that. Mm -hmm. So... So, it's yeah, kind of scary. Yeah. yeah. It's, so that's it's very mean. scary when your friend or your kid or your mom is suicidal. Yes. yes. Okay. How about you, Mark? What support would you, what have you appreciated? Well, the thing to start off with is what I didn't appreciate, and I think um, that might be more useful. Um, to relate maybe to those who have not experienced suicidal ideation or depression, it's like we've all been at that spot if you're human that you've lost something that means a lot to you. It's a girlfriend, it's a boyfriend, that pain, that ache, like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I really want to wake up the next day. We've all experienced that. And go to that place where you're in that moment where you just feel like so much pain and, and so much darkness, and then you have friends that come up to you and say, hey, don't worry about it. There are plenty of other fish in the sea. Hey, don't worry about it. Yeah, they weren't good for you anyway. Don't, don't worry about it. Cheer up. Everything is going to be okay. When you're in that space and you're feeling that pain, that's not what I wanted to hear at all. When I was in that space that I wanted in my life, I didn't want to hear, hey, perk up. You have so much more to live for. No, that's not what I wanted at all. In fact, that made things worse for me. And like Troy was saying, I was having an experience. And that experience for me was real. 
And when somebody else would come, all well-intending people trying to help get me out of my experience, they were basically saying that what I was feeling was wrong. And they didn't sit with me in my experience. And for me, support that was the most beneficial was the people that didn't try to change my experience, that didn't tell me to just trust God more, or that didn't tell me just to read the Bible more, or they didn't try to fix me. No, the, the thing that meant the most to me was the person who would be able to meet me where I was, not try to change me, not to make my experience wrong, but to be able to just sit with me. That's it. I just want someone, another human being, to connect. That's it. And that was the biggest thing for somebody just to sit, shut their mouths, and just be with me. That's not easy, you guys. No, seriously, shut yeah. their mouths because... <laughs> no, I mean, we get in these, these spaces, right, where we're uncomfortable. Someone's going through some, something that's really traumatic or really kind of painful, and we, we see that. And we see that they're uncomfortable. And, and in that moment, it's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I feel uncomfortable, they're uncomfortable. So in that moment, I'm trying to change their experience so I don't have to feel uncomfortable. And in that moment, it's not about the person who's suffering, it's about the person who's trying to help because they don't want to feel bad. There's a lot of feelings of guilt that come in that experience when you're trying to make everybody else be okay and comfortable, your roommates, your family, and inside you're feeling this. That's got to be really tough. Yeah, and, and, and the shame, because you feel so isolated and you, you don't really want to talk because people are going to try to fix you and try to change your experience and, and give you these, this positive uh, feedback, and it's just not, it just doesn't help. It doesn't help me. I don't know about Troy if it helped you, but for me, it was just not helping. So I'm gonna just go to some of the barriers because we listed them quickly, but the barriers that you had to overcome to just get, even getting help. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult, and, and when I talk about the barriers, I really like to address it on a, on a cultural level, and that is, you know, we live in a, in a culture that is uh, very patriarchic, capitalistic, individualistic. Now how that, what that means in terms of getting help is you have these very masculine uh, features of, you know, no, you need to be strong, there's no crying, get up and do your thing. And we think the, the capitalistic, it's more like, you know, if you sink, that's your fault. And the individualism is that, you know, no, this is your problem. So when you look at it in, in that sense, I think, uh, the barriers are, are so abundant because everybody becomes so fragmented around this, this situation. And it's so difficult to go there in the first place. I mean, we're talking serious stuff. We're talking about death. Yeah. And the only time it's comfortable to talk about death is when we're contemplating what happens thereafter. So then when you're in a situation of bringing that upon yourself, you know, people draw back from that, you know, on an instinctual level, on a cultural level, uh, but just on a fearful level. So I, I think encountering those barriers is just extremely difficult. And when, like I said, you know, when you're ready to go, uh, you don't have the strength to fight that, you know? Mm -hmm. So like Mark was saying, somebody who's just willing to, to just be there. 
is, is so, so important to help overcome those barriers. You were sharing with me earlier about some of your friends that have died by suicide. Uh, yes, and I'm definitely here, and in my heart, this portion, my portion, is, is so dedicated to them. My cousin Caleb hung himself when he was 21 years old. My best friend, Mike Snyder, hung himself when he was 23 years old. And another best friend, Ryan Hogan, uh, shot himself in the head when he was 26 years old. The later I just found out at the beginning of this year. And both wonderfully creative, gentle souls just, you know, out there and, and the struggle, seeing them go through. And you try and reach out to people, but it's, it's such a space, like Mark was saying. I mean, it's, it's, it's this, you know, it's, it's a really difficult place, but... I'm sorry. That's a lot of friends and a lot of loss. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mark, what were your barriers? What, what wasn't a barrier? I mean, <laughs> seriously, you're in the world where no one kind of understands, and people are trying to, to fix you, and you got your religion as a barrier, believe it or not. Um, your friends are a barrier. Your, your school is a barrier. Everything's, everything was a barrier, and you just feel ashamed and, and embarrassed. You don't like the experience you're having, but you can't do anything different than the experience you're having. You can't change your experience just like that. So, yeah, you had to get over the fact that um, what, you're not, what you're experiencing right in that moment is not wrong. So I see our time is coming close, and I think the main thing is I want to acknowledge my two colleagues because getting up and even talking about suicide and feelings of that, it's not happening. And one of the biggest things that I want to share is their courage and their gift to you that they're alive, that they're still excited, and they're going for their dreams. And so if any of you are experiencing any of those things that we've talked about today, here at Loma Linda, you've got all kinds of people that love you, that care for you, you can call the BMC, the Behavioral Medicine Center. You can call your chaplains. You can call employee assistants. And my name is Mary Ann Shepard, and you can call me anytime. And we'd really love to, to be able to have that conversation like Mark says. And if you're a friend, shut your mouth and just be with them. Don't try to change them, because that's not what you want in that experience of hurt and pain either. Shut your mouth and sit with them. After you've asked them, though. <laughs> you have to ask, because that's protective, you guys. If you don't ask, that could be your chance. So if somebody is presenting that way, ask them. And, and then, then shut your mouth. shut your mouth and listen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much.